Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of The Influence Continuum. This episode, I'm very grateful to be with a very old colleague and friend, Steve Eichel, is a PhD psychologist, licensed, board certified. Uh, he does forensic psychology. He's a certified sex therapist as well. And Steve has been involved with the cultic studies field since 1975. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, he decided he would go to the Moonies, my former cult, in order to do a dissertation research exper experience um, up at the Barrytown facility, which I was at many, many times. Yeah. Uh, I think you did that in... Um, April of 75. April of 75. So I wasn't mm -hmm. even out of the Moonies yet till, till, uh, mm -hmm. till May of 76. Uh, so, but I don't remember meeting you at Barrytown. In any case, uh, Steve was the president of the International Cultic Studies Association from 2012 to 2021. Uh, Steve has published, presented extensively on cult-related topics for 40 years. Steve, you're an expert in hypnosis. You, you know, you are a fount of knowledge, and I'm so happy to share with my listeners your expertise. And um, before I ask you to, to um, introduce yourself and say what you want to say, I just want to comment that at the current moment, in the world, we're seeing such prevalence of cult stories, yeah. cult deaths in Kenya. Uh, Lori Vallow uh, was just convicted of uh, doomsday cult, you know, murdering her own children. Um, and uh, there's also a very organized effort uh, of, on behalf of cults trying to say, nope, you know, they're just new <clears throat> religious movements and and there's no such thing as brainwashing or mind mm -hmm. control. Don't believe any of the ex-members. So there's a whole psy psyops, you know, psychological warfare component to what's happening around the world. And Steve, people like yourself who've been doing this work, working with victims, helping them recover, testifying in courts, you have just such a wealth of knowledge that I want you to share with my audience. Thank so with so that, much. here it is. Please have an opening statement about what, <laughs> what what's going on. Well, I think uh, it's in, from my point of view, and, and you're right. I mean, we've both been in this field for many, many years. I met you and, at a CAN conference in 1981. I remember it very well in Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been we've been doing this for a very long time, and uh, one of the things I seem to want to say is, uh, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So uh, you know, the techniques that we see uh, are more sophisticated. The internet has certainly facilitated uh, inf undue influence in ways that nobody could have anticipated. That wasn't around when you and I were first uh, entering into the field, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, things are very different, but in other ways, they are very, very much the same. Uh, really, the, you know, the techniques uh, that, have, that are used both to get people in groups like love bombing, for example, and of course, uh, the use of various hypnotic like techniques. And the one thing I will say that, uh, you know, one of the certainly the major contributions you have made to the field, and really, this is a major, major contribution. I can't begin to tell you how important it is for me to point this out in court cases. And that is your statement uh, uh, that, that uh, cults use induce phobias. Mm. That is incredibly important. If, if there's one thing I have to choose to show to demonstrate how powerful uh, cults are with people, it's by explaining to a jury, and they do get it, explaining to a jury that, you know, that this is your entire, not only your tired, entire existence, uh, both physical and spiritual, emotional, psychological, that's on the line. But for example, with the Moonies and in other cultic groups as well, uh, your ancestors, uh, your progeny. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, we're, we're talking about 
um, uh, disastrous results that uh, that are almost indescribable to people outside of these groups. And that's it, it, the induction of that phobia. If I had to pick one thing that holds people spellbound in these groups, it is that it's fear. And of course, we see on a much broader scale, right? And you've, of mm-hmm. course, again written, you know, written. I think probably the first book uh, to come out and say that you know that the that Trumpism is a cult. Uh, so and same same thing, fear, right? The induction of fear. So let me just comment for my listeners who may not know a little bit of my story. I come from a Jewish background, so I didn't believe in Satan or demon mm-hmm. possession. Mm-hmm. As the Lori Vallow case, they, she believed her children were possessed by demons. They couldn't cast them out, and so they had to kill their bodies because they said they were zombies. In any case, in my case, I was taken to see the Exorcist movie in 1974 when it came out. Then we were brought by van up to uh, Tarrytown and heard Sun Myung Moon himself say God made the Exorcist movie, and this movie is what would happen to anyone who left the church. And I can point to that moment when I stopped thinking at all. I was so afraid of being possessed uh, by the demons that I did thought stopping and everything else. And what I like to say is, you know, if you think about, um, if you have a, an elevator phobia, you can't imagine riding safely and comfortably. You can only imagine plummeting to your death or being trapped for eternity. The minute you can visualize riding safely and comfortably, mm-hmm. you're on your way out. And there's a direct parallel to anyone in a mind control state. But you have to explain there's legitimate fear where there's actual danger, and then there's artificial fear, which is the phobia programming. So exactly. thank, for, thank you for letting me just uh, flesh that out a little bit more for our listeners. So going back to, you know, you've, you've been asked to forensically evaluate some high-profile cases we know Patty Hearst was uh, abducted. In fact, the same month I was recruited into the Moonies, February of 74, she robbed the banks, she went on trial, and F. Lee Bailey, her attorney, kind of caved on, on pushing the brainwashing defense. Yeah. And, um, and, and so Tanya, who robbed banks, even though she was a multimillionaires, yeah, uh, was found guilty. Later pardoned by 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 the president. Um, but we have had numerous unsuccessful, high profile cases where the public still doesn't understand how intelligent, educated people can be subjected yeah. to this process. Yeah, we live in a in a very um, strange time when you know. There's on the one hand a belief that you know exposure to uh, you know to RuPaul or you know, exposure to uh, 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 drag queens is going to you know destroy a child's sexuality for the rest of his life. So there's influence there, you see, but yeah. not not influence in a high demand group. It's uh, it is really it's it's difficult to justify in my mind. And right. and that's the kind of thing that I, I often have to point out if I'm in front of a, if I'm in front of a judge or a jury I have to point out that you know on the one hand the, the law is filled with examples of undue influence the law you know we have lots and lots of experience um, in the general culture with with uh, the belief that people can be influenced even outside of their awareness. Mm-hmm. And yet, on the other hand, we, you know, we uh, almost give free reign to cultic groups. And to some degree, that that's a function of, uh, of our constitution, which is, you know, different than a lot of other countries, a lot of other democracies. Uh, for, it's a, conf- you know, it's a conflation, in my opinion, of, of the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but on the other hand, it's just, uh, I, I think people, I think the bottom line is people don't want to believe that they can be influenced. That's really the bottom line. Yeah, uh, Alan Shefflin, law professor emeritus, who is on the the, uh, the International Cultic Studies Association board for and was a former president, talks about the myth of the unmalleable mind. Right. We That's all want right. to believe, 
only weak people could be brainwashed. Or only stupid, stupid people. people. Only people from bad families. Only people who don't have proper religious education. And we have thousands of counterexamples to show that it's wrong. Uh, yes, absolutely. And one of the things I, again, in a courtroom situation, as well as uh, if I'm giving a talk, uh, one of the things I like to point out is, and, and sometimes I'll come, you know, equipped with all this, with a list of studies, but I like to point out the fact when people ask me, or I used to ask people, who here thinks that they can't be brainwashed? And, you know, in the past, especially, I would get a lot of hands, not so many, not so much this time, that's progress, in my opinion. Yep. But uh, in the past, everyone used to raise their hands, and I'd say, okay, look at, everyone look at each other, everyone who's raising their hands, look at each other, and, and tell me, which one of you are the psychopaths and which one of you are the, the psychotics? Because those are the two people who can't, two classes of people who cannot be brainwashed. Uh, if we were good at influencing brainwashing psychopaths or sociopaths and psychotic people, then mental hospitals would work and prisons would work, but they don't. I mean, I love that work. example. I have not heard that one yeah. before. Look around. Yeah. <laughs> which one? Which one is a psychopath? I love right. that example. That's great. Yeah. So it's really, it's very important to point out uh, to people that, uh, and, and here's where, you know, that black and white thinking that, that permeates a lot of folks, and it's not just in cults, um, that black and white thinking where either you're brainwashable or you're not. And I like to point out that, you know, we all, or at least most of us, if we're not psychotic and not sociopaths, uh, we, we are all capable of being brainwashed at various points in our lives. And so a uh, very famous psychologist named Albert Bandura, back in 1982, wrote an article called The Psychology of Chance Encounters. And uh, it had a tremendous impact on me. Because basically what he says is uh, the, the main cause, if you will, of people becoming involved in cults is bad luck. And I'm not talking about people born into groups. That's a whole separate category. Right. But the people who, like you, people who are indoctrinated into a cultic group or, or the experience I went through in Barrytown in just one week uh, at a CARP seminar. It's Gary Sharp was my, our leader, by That's the way. That's so funny. He's now a lawyer. <laughs> Gary and I knew each other. I would do the introductory lecture in New York, send them up to, to Gary for the three-day. That's exactly. so funny. Well, Gary, you know, when I met Gary uh, out of the group, I hadn't recognized him at first because he'd grown a beard. And when I knew him, he was he did not have a beard. Um, and we, we had a good laugh about that, especially um, it's a whole nother story. But there was somebody that I was at Barrytown with, a, a guy that I met there, Charlie, who actually did have a full-blown psychotic episode. Mm. I mean, I, did, I didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't recognize it. I was only in college, but uh, he did have a full-blown psychotic episode, was hospitalized afterwards, um, and he went around defacing a lot of moon posters at, in Barrytown, calling him the Antichrist, and and uh, Gary said, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember those posters. At any rate. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's, it's amazing how many brilliant people. Gary yeah. was a very effective oh, lecturer. Tremendously effective. Absolutely. Yeah, and he married another former Mooney who, who wrote a book with her mom, if I remember correctly, Barbara Underwood. Uh, was it right. Hostage to Heaven or something yeah, like she's, that? She's well known in the field, definitely. Yeah, there are so many former Moonies out there. I wish they would surface and share uh, their story, but yeah. most people are embarrassed still. And I understand that because, again, like you mentioned in the early uh, early part of this interview, uh, the vast majority of people look at cult members and go like, oh, I could never be that. I'm not that stupid. I'm not that gullible. I'm not that weak. Right. Um, so getting back to my original point, uh, which is that we are all, or again, most of us, if you're not psychotic, if you're not a sociopath, at various points in our lives, we are vulnerable. And as, and as Bandura put it, um, with saying that uh, this is an issue related to bad luck, if I'm in a, if I'm in a, period of transition if i'm uh right. if my you know girlfriend dumped me if my wife is divorcing guilty me. girlfriend yeah. dumped me exactly if i'm changing schools if i'm without a job whatever whatever it may be just normal stresses normal transitions that that right. folks go through if i then have the bad luck of encountering a cult recruiter that's when i'm going to get recruited into a cult 
If, on the other hand, my life is going really well, I'm pretty satisfied, everything's going great, and then I run into a cult recruiter, maybe not so much. I might not be recruited into the cultic group. So it's really a function of bad luck, number one. But number two, it's really very, very important for everyone to realize, so again, everyone who's not a psychotic, not a sociopath, everyone to realize that at various points in times, we are all vulnerable. Right. So I also want to add that I do believe, and I think you share this, that a little bit of preventive education uh, where people are hearing people's mm -hmm. stories and mm -hmm. saying what they wish they had asked or wish they had done, like, you know, no. like my mom, my mom, when I first got back from my three-day workshop, even though they were pressuring me for the seven-day workshop, said, let's go talk to the rabbi. Let's go talk to the rabbi. So I said, sure. And what the rabbi should have said is, uh, Steve, I've never heard of this group, but, but please know if it's legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. Right. Don't go back. Don't talk to them for a few weeks and let's right. research it together. My life would have been very different, but he thought I wanted to, you know, convert to Christianity. So he offered to study the Torah with me, which was not my question at right. all. You hit on a really, really important point. And uh, of course, a lot of us have said this over the years. The single most important thing someone can do if they are in, the, in a situation where, they feel like, where you feel like you're being recruited, you feel like you're being uh, pressured, most important thing you can do is demand time yes that's that you know demand time no no you got to sign this now if you don't sign this workshop now you know you're going to miss out on a b c or d or it's going to be twice as expensive or whatever none of that matters right the only thing that matters is just what you said i hear what you know i i got the information you gave me okay i'm going to go check it out on my own i right. hate to use this term because it's been perverted by uh, by the QAnon, by the worst <laughs> players on the internet, but yeah, in in this in this case, yeah, you have to do your own research. Yes, <laughs> but research people who know about the group, not right. the recruiters, right. or not just you know phony websites. I do want to comment just that you know when I wrote Combating Cult Mind Control in 1988, uh, there was no internet, right, and once the internet started rolling. I had to rewrite it completely almost mm -hmm. because people can now stare into a screen for 10 hours a day. They don't need to go to an isolated physical location to be love bombed. They can be swarmed online in discussion exactly. groups and there's all kinds of AI, you know, using our personal data. We used to have to ask worse. people about their background and you know their family structure and find areas to hone in on. They don't need to do that anymore. If you're a high-profile target, they want you. Or they want your money. Absolutely true. I I saw. A, I don't remember what it was. It was a TV program. But at any rate, uh, I saw a, a, a fascinating um, demonstration of what you're talking about, where you know a guy pretended to be a mind reader. And meanwhile, his partner was in the back on the internet Googling everybody who was coming up. I think I saw the same video. It was yeah. great. Oh, yeah. I'm getting a vision. Your dog's name is Lucky. Exactly. How did you know that? And they're getting the messaging in their little, right. uh, you know, magic ear, magician's right. magic ear. Exactly. So can we switch gears, please? Because mm -hmm. you are one of the few true experts forensically on undue influence. And I remember that you were consulted on the Malvo assassination mm -hmm. case. Yes. And which I I looked into and I really felt like the kid was a minor. I mean, talk to us about what you thought about that case sure. and what whether you think the uh, judge and jury found correctly or incorrectly. That was a heartbreaker, I have to say. And, mm. and you know, we're talking about, first of all, you know, uh, uh, an individual who just looking on, looking at Lee Boyd Malvo on paper, I mean, he's a mass murderer. Uh, you know, he's Tell a Tell our listeners the story, right? It was the DC yeah. sniper. This is the case. DC sniper. Yeah. Who uh, was um, targeted 
very, very specifically targeted by a man named John Muhammad, yep. who, is, who had uh, tried with two other boys before Lee. He was looking for somebody, he was looking for a minor to engage in this plot that he had. Mm -hmm. Of course, we don't know for sure what his what his thinking was because John Muhammad wouldn't talk and he had, was subsequently executed. He got the death penalty, so we'll never know what was going on in his mind. Uh -huh. But most of us, most of us involved in the case believe that what he ultimately wanted to do was, was murder his wife, mm. his ex-wife, mm -hmm. uh, that it was really related to custody. Mm. Uh, she had full custody of his children. You can imagine why. <laughs> um, right. I mean, uh, obviously on at, a cus at custody hearings or an evaluation, he must have, John Muhammad must have looked pretty bad. Um, so she got full custody and... <clears throat> Most of us believe that these killings, that what he was trying to do is establish a pattern of random killings near his ex-wife so that then when she got killed, it would be considered just, you know, part of the, the random killing mm. um, and he wouldn't be implicated. Uh, and it. then, of course, the, the children would be his because their mom would be dead. Uh, what he told Lee Boyd Malvo, of course, was that uh, he, he laid out this entire plot of uh, a plan, rather, of establishing essentially a, uh, a a black nation uh part that would be partly in canada partly in the u.s um he that that the killing sprees uh were <clears throat> were an attempt to blackmail the, the government to uh provide the land and provide them funding for mm. this nation of uh, of of african americans because uh, according to john muhammad what he was uh, right. brainwashing lee to believe uh, you know, the United States was uh, was run by uh, white supremacists um, and that the only way blacks could could have real freedom would be to have their own uh, nation. So it's sort of a takeoff of the nation of Islam to a degree, mm -hmm. bit of a takeoff on the, the old Garvey movement from the 1920s. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially it was a black separatist movement. Uh, or Again, I think this was invented. Uh, right. I don't think I don't think uh, John Muhammad had any plan of this, but this is what he was. This is how he indoctrinated Lee Boyd Malvo. Then he also um, and he targeted Lee because Lee was without was basically without a father. Right. Um, was kind of almost a street urchin. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, he didn't he meet him at fourteen or something. Yeah. Or earlier. No, yeah. 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 No, he met him. He befriended him. I mean, it was it was really uh, a case of grooming. I mean, he groomed yes. the boy. And his mother, mm. and that's important to realize. He befriended Lee's mother, mm -hmm. so that mom trusted him. Yeah, and like many people, mom ultimately wanted to get to the United States, and uh, you know, as an immigrant, uh, mm -hmm. legally or not. And uh, and and John said, "Well, I'm going to get your son to the United States first. Mm. And and you, I mean, it's sort of understandable that right. you could see, okay, here's a father figure. He looked on the surface to be a, a good guy. I'm going to let my son go with him to to the United States so that he can then right. immigrate and uh, and live in the U.S. So mom let <clears throat> let Lee go with John Muhammad uh, to Washington State, and once he was there, he taught him how to shoot a rifle, and he became a sharpshooter. Mm. Uh, he was filled with constant video games that were uh, oriented, you know, basically shooting uh, games to again uh, hone his skills. Yeah. And he was isolated. Lee was completely isolated and fed this narrative by John Muhammad. Right. Uh, you know, about how <clears throat> they were going to establish this. Uh, they were going to be pioneers. They were going to be revolutionary leaders uh, and pioneers that were going to you know, establish this this country for black Americans. Right. So I believe at the point of the arrests, uh, Lee was 17. Am I 17, remember correctly? Yes. Still a minor. Mm -hmm. in a sense and it was your job to present a point yeah. of view that he shouldn't be uh, have capital punishment oh no, well we were we were arguing in favor of him being declared uh, not guilty by reason of insanity oh uh, talk to us about <clears throat> the legal strategy please yeah the, the legal strategy and uh you know again i can't i can't speak entirely to the legal strategy not being an attorney but right I, we certainly worked closely with the attorneys there were uh, there was a psychiatrist and uh, another psychologist, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and and myself. Um, we had we also had a fascinating uh, an expert on child soldiers because that's basically what 
what Muhammad was doing. John mm-hmm, Muhammad mm-hmm. was converting Lee into a child soldier. And of course, you uh, I don't know about your audience, but I'm guessing you know exactly what I'm referring to. This is a process that's done primarily in, in Africa, uh, where uh, children are literally <clears throat> kidnapped and and f- converted uh, into child into soldiers. Um, yeah, and often they're literally told to murder their brother, sister, absolutely. or parents, or be killed right on the spot. Absolutely. And sometimes they'll, you know, prod by pulling the trigger of the of the boy holding the uh, the, the the rifle. But once once the the first murder happens, it sets the person on a traumatic path. It is, in fact, what psychologists refer to as trauma bonding. Yeah. It, is, it, is a, it is a method of forcing a bond between the brainwasher and the victim. Very, again, very, very definitely along the lines of what you first referred to with, uh, you know, with the Symbionese Liberation Army and Patty Hearst. That's right. exactly what they were doing with her. Mm-hmm. They, were, they, they converted, they made Patty Hearst into a child soldier, in essence, even though she wasn't technically a child at that time. Right. Uh, um, so... so So please, so Steve, um, you know, I did my doctoral dissertation Mm -hmm. trying to connect the dots with trafficking law, you know, to name the different models, Lift and Singer, Shine's models, and Mm -hmm. my model of the Bite model, Mm -hmm. and Shefflin's uh, social influence model. But I really, you know, would love you to opine on like, what else is it going to take for judges and juries to make it a crime to brainwash or mind control or doing a systematic social influence process to quote Margaret Singer on a person to do criminal activity. I wish I could answer that question. I don't, I wish I knew what it would take. I mean, the, the, what gives me a little bit of hope is the fact that there, you know, just as there are countries and I'm talking about democratic countries here, because certainly one way to crush a cult is to become even more cultic, right? Like what China does with, uh, with, uh, Jigong. I mean, yes. you know, uh, that is not what we want. Uh, right. We do not want, you know, uh, uh, a, an even bigger cult to get rid of the smaller cults. So like Falun Gong, you mean? Uh, uh, excuse me, and, uh, Falun Gong. Yes. Right. I, I, I figured I knew what you meant, yeah, but yeah, Putin also has, you know, doesn't want Actually. anyone but the Russian Orthodox Church to be exist, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So, you know, they go after the, the, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And yeah, you know, we have we have our own issues, obviously, with Jehovah's Witnesses. But to to do what Putin is doing, no, that's not, you don't cure the cancer by killing the patient. Right. And Um, I don't believe in banning government banning. But I do, I don't believe that we should be supporting with tax exemption groups that violate people's human rights by deceptively recruiting them. And again, this country has, because of our constitution, which, uh, you know, 99% of the time we, at least speaking for myself, I support. Yeah. Um, but you know, thanks to the way the first amendment has been interpreted, Hmm. uh, you know, the first amendment, unfortunately doesn't say we guarantee the freedom of thought Mm -hmm. of a, you know, of of the individual. We just say we guarantee the freedom of speech. Right. Um, so <clears throat> uh, there are laws that have been instituted in the uh, most uh, most importantly right now for us is in, in Britain. Uh, Britain right. has a a, 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 a law of, uh, against uh, coercive control. Yes. And that's what we need here. Granted, it's hard to prove at times and, and it, you know, it is murky. It's messy. But that's life. Life is often murky and messy. That right. doesn't mean that we ignore it, okay, and right. we pretend it doesn't exist. So uh, I I think that what we need to you know what we what we need is um, uh, you know a concerted effort politically. And I don't see this happening, and I don't think it's going to happen in the near future because of what's because of the general in the United climate. States in the mean- United States, yeah. Uh, in the United Unless States. the Democrats get a supermajority and we expand the Supreme Court, and uh, don't forget, it's a Demo- it's under a Democratic administration that Scientology got its tax exemption finally. Clint- um, Clinton was a bad actor, big right. friend of John Travolta, right. and they, if I remember correctly, 
Clinton was even pressuring Germany. How could you right. not give Scientology tax exemption? Exactly. And the German government is, we know cults. <laughs> yeah. We had Hitler. What are you talking about? This yeah. is not a religious group. <laughs> we, yeah, we know it when we see it. <laughs> Sir, but, you know, it yeah. is, uh, it is uh, let's just agree, authoritarian groups don't want to be regulated. They want mm -hmm. a free pass, and if they have a religious, you know, veneer, they're going to call, you know, religious freedom. In this country. Uh, yeah, right. in this country, right. But, um, you know, I, I really think informed consent is a rather important legal construct, and I know, because I asked the women flirting with me when they were recruiting me, are you part of a religious group? And if they said yes... I would have said goodbye, mm -hmm. but they lied, mm -hmm. and they lied, and they lied, and they lied. Sure. My research and, on the Moonies was through the Collegiate Association of Research of Principle. I yes, mean, that was my— religion in there? That was my front group at Queens mm -hmm. College. After I was told to drop out, I was told to go back and start a student club so I could mm -hmm. recruit students to drop out and exactly. be good Moonies. So there's, there's that piece as well. So, Steve, um, all I can say is that I am hoping with deep data analyses that we may be able to figure out scientifically a way to demonstrate yeah. uh, on a continuum uh, on ethical influences. And, and I really like Shefflin's model. Look at the influency and their unique you know, characteristics, vulnerabilities, the influencer or the predator or the predatory mm -hmm. organization and and how they influence and the, you know, consequences of this relationship. There's a framework there for experts to explain to juries. And it's important to understand, and this is why, you know, on the one hand, there are people I've heard people criticize or or challenge, if you will, the bite model, your model, for example, is as being quote unquote too vague. But they have to be. They they you can't I think what you're saying is really important. So for person A, you know, being more hypnotic may be what works for that person. For person B, focusing on the fear is what may work for that person. For person C, it may be more love bombing. I mean, there are some people who are again sure. who are either who are extremely difficult to hypnotize, so you don't use hypnotic techniques with them. Right. Uh, you emphasize something else. And that's, so, you know, again, what we're talking about here, and, and this goes back to what Margaret Singer used to say about there being a systematic, you know, there's a system that's involved here. Right. It's planned, it's systematic, it's discussed, it's not spontaneous. Right. Um, Michael Langoni, the the former executive director of the of, uh, of the International Cultic Studies Association, used to talk about the ethics of communication. And I think that's really important. You know, when two people meet, there's an underlying assumption and expectation that we are both going to be influencers and be influenced. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. And what what happens, of course, in cultic recruitment is that the cult recruiter is is lying, is falsely presenting themselves. Right as someone who can be influenced as right. well as influencing. Right. That's not true, of course. They have, they, they, you are not influencing them at all. They right. are targeting you. So it's a, it, is, it is, as you mentioned, informed consent. There right. is no informed consent in that situation. And it's often two on one or three on one. Yeah. I do want to come back. You mentioned, and it's the first time I've ever heard anyone call the bite model vague because it's, so specific it has a mm -hmm. ton of different variables and in fact that's what i mean labor trafficking yeah. and and sex trafficking experts love my model yeah. because it explains the coercion part of trafficking right. fraud force or coercion but on the influence continuum as you correctly say you need that evaluation on the specific person what of those elements right. were effective on that person so by uh, vague was the wrong term. I, uh, what I meant was all inclusive. Uh huh. Okay. So, and which you know some people think well, if it's all inclusive, then it can't be right. 
Um, my argument is that your framework, my your framework is is a way of bringing together lots of other frameworks. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that to me is extremely useful. Um, yeah, I, I started with Leon Festinger's cognitive dissonance right. model: thoughts, right. feelings, and behaviors, and. Right. So those are three of the four, and then I added information control. And in this digital age, I'd say the I should be bigger than the B and the T and the E because it, yeah, it, yeah. you, you co-opt somebody's beliefs, you're, they're going to change their behavior and, and everything we still, else. We still, you know, it's amazing to me, and I'm guessing amazing to you, that you can have a man be found liable for sexual assault and his support among his base grows <laughs> instead of decreases that you know because again he's able to he's able to couch that in this bubble of tremendous misinformation saying See, this is again this is proof and by the cults do this too of course as you know Exactly you know we're you persecuted know, oh. therefore we must be doing right. God's will <laughs> right. I committed a crime <laughs> okay and you catch me in the crime and you convict me of the crime. Oh, you're persecuting me, not right. because of the crime, but because of my religion. That's what they claim. Right. And of course, Trump also says the same thing. Um, right. But it's it's I'm what I'm saying here is that as you noted, the I in the bite model is perhaps even more important now than ever before. And I think that uh, the events of 2016 through 2020, of course, and 2021 with the insurrection, yep. and even to this day. That seems to be very clear. The, the, the you know, and and granted, uh, uh, Joe Biden got tremendous criticism, and and I think to some degree justifiably so for trying to you know uh, develop an office of misinformation. The government needs to be out of that. We can't have the government involved in that. There's got that's got to be through private entities, in my opinion, because otherwise. Too many people accuse the government because there is a, a potential for misuse. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. But that's yeah. why they need you know scholars right. who are right. experts. And of right. course, in, in the cult of Trump, I talk about fourth generation psychological warfare, attacking experts, right. attacking science, attacking institutions, just to create more chaos, confusion, and to make people more vulnerable to the certainty voice of the demagogue. That's exactly, you You hit the nail right on the head. As we both know, right, one of the most powerful hypnotic techniques that you can use with people who say, I can't be hypnotized, is a confusion technique. Yep. Right? You, you so. set me up because I wanted to ask you to talk about hypnosis mm -hmm. because most people don't understand it. They maybe right. were exposed to a stage hypnotist, saw people right. barking like a dog, thought it was fakery. Right. Tell me what you what your what your conclusion is after decades of studying hypnosis, being trained in hypnosis. Sure. Hypnosis is a a method for directing people into a natural altered state of consciousness. That's mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. um, we all go through altered states of consciousness all the time. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, you're you're watching a movie. You're fascinated by that movie. It's really interesting. The movie ends. All of a sudden, you realize, oh my god! For the last half hour, I've had to pee tremendously. I'm in great pain. If I don't get to the <laughs> if I don't get to the bathroom right away, I'm in trouble. Well, that pain didn't develop the second the movie ended. That pain was always there. But you were because you were so. In, in essence, your, your consciousness was so uh, invested in the movie, you were, in essence, experiencing hypnotic anesthesia. Yeah, you were um, absorbed. You were absorbed, exactly. Absorption being one of the major characteristics of, of both hypnosis and cultic indoctrination. Yeah. Um, and so, when, when I did the, <clears throat> the two chapters with Alan Shefflin on the dark side mm -hmm. of hypnosis, that was, was one of the big challenges is which definition of hypnosis do we use? Yeah. Yeah. We pretty much used what you just described, but we added uh, the heightened suggestibility yeah. component. Yeah. So again, you've got to, you know, and, and, I, and I understand that scientists, researchers, or have difficulty parsing this out. And, and I think it's, it's not possible to completely parse it out because we know high suggestibility 
uh, is associated with high hypnotizability, but high hypnotizability is also increases suggestibility. Right. So, uh, so one of the things that that and this is and what's really important, especially in Eastern related cults that that tend to over rely on meditation and things yeah. like that, is that the suggestibility is still there even after the hypnosis or the meditation ends. Yep. Okay. That's what's really crucial for folks to understand. So if I'm, you know, if I'm do, doing clinical hypnosis, which is the only kind of hypnosis I do, I don't do stage hypnosis. Because you're a licensed like mental health professional. Right. So if I do clinical hypnosis and I, in, in, and I um, invite my client to engage in trance work, and then I bring them out of hypnosis, I will often tell them what you want to do now, especially if it's we don't have enough time to debrief totally, but most of the time, um, I always leave at least 15 or 30 minutes in the session to debrief right. because you can't send somebody out. If I send someone out after hypnotizing them, they get in their car, they turn on the radio, they hear a commercial, they're more likely to buy whatever that commercial is selling, mm-hmm. even though they're no longer in my office under hypnosis. Right. Yeah, no, so, you need to reorient. I don't do clinical hypnosis because I want people to trust me. So in my practice, I explain hypnosis. Yeah. I'll show tapes by Darren Brown and by other hip stage hypnotists, and et cetera, who do the impermissible types of hypnotic uh, stuff mm-hmm. that clinical people would never dare to even think about. But um, yeah. it is a powerful, positive tool for so many things, pain control, mm-hmm. sleep, uh, there's so many good things, uh, and and in my opinion, and I'm going to ask you, but I think we're overprescribing pain medications when people can learn how to dial down their own, you know, the way their brain interprets pain. Very much a whole separate topic, but I certainly I certainly agree with you. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's important to you know it's important to know. For example, when I work with people who've been in in cultic groups, I sometimes they'll ask for hypnosis, and I say, "Whoa, okay, wait a minute." Yeah, no, I it's rare. I would have to sit and think if I've ever used hypnosis with somebody who's come out of a cult. I don't think I have, but maybe there's one or two occasions. I don't know. Here's I want to talk about something more more poignant maybe please and that is you know you don't have to call it hypnosis for it to be hypnotic thank you for saying okay. that that's really important now legally and this is where things get weird because legally it's hypnosis when i use the word hypnosis so in other words if i use guided imagery right legally that's not hypnosis scientifically it is okay. right <laughs> and so and, and that's always a conflict. Guided meditations, yeah. visualizations these, these are, are... The research is very clear. When yeah. you're engaging in, in those kinds of activities, you're you're firing the same kinds of... Par- the same parts of the brain yeah. are, are firing that we find in hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody... If you go to a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an evening lecture that involves a meditation, and then after that, we're going to, you know, invite you to sign up for our classes. But there's no hypnosis involved. There's no undue influence involved. No, that's not true. There most certainly is. Obviously, there are many, many situations in everyday life where this is done. I mean, uh, it, what, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, a good, we all know uh, a good salesperson is going to use influence but we expect that if i go to a car if i go to buy a new car i expect that the car salesperson is going to try to influence me that's what they're there for right Um, i can't help but mention tony robbins and nlp mm, neuro-linguistic programming yeah uh and and how many trainings he's done for car salesmen as well as corporate executives and And, uh, he'll he'll, uh, yeah, and Rich- Richard Bandler and his gun. Um, yes, Richard Bandler is, was one of the co-founders of NLP, who mm-hmm. was involved with a murder. I, I'm not sure. I don't think he was found guilty, but no, he was very not. suspicious. Yeah. But the point is, is when when Robbins, uh, you know, has people visualize themselves 
you know, getting bigger and stronger and more confident, just visualize it and they go into an altered state and you see their posture changing, you're seeing mm -hmm. a, a hypnotic suggestion, um, in my opinion. Oh, no, no, I agree with you. Ah. I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because I'm debating whether or not to bring this up or not. But uh, there was, and probably still is, there, there are people out there who believe, who, who believe that through hypnosis, you can enlarge a woman's breasts. There was, <laughs> I was, I actually watched a, hip, a lay hypnotist many, many years ago engage in quote unquote breast enhancement hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there are many things that you can do. For example, I can, I can give myself another quarter of an inch of height by, you know, really straightening my back up. And so of course, you know, what they would do is they'd measure a woman's breasts put her under hypnosis, give her suggestions for breast enhancement, measure it again. And sure enough, there was a slight increase, mm -hmm. you know, in, in size. So that was proof, unquote, quote, unquote, that it was, uh, that it works. But of course, we know that's not true. We know right. that from, from controlled studies that that's not true. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, there are definitely physical, there, there are physical, um, um, attributes or physical functions that, that, we know can be uh, influenced and even controlled by hypnosis. Yeah, I'm remembering uh, a case where they hypnotized someone, said, uh, we're going to rub poison ivy on your hands. Mm -hmm. It wasn't poison ivy, right. Right. but they broke out. Right, and then they, exactly. And they did on the other hand, you know, this is, we're going to do spearmint, and it was poison ivy, and it didn't break out. And that's yeah. really interesting about the mind-body relationship. Keeping in mind that, that because that worked, because that was true for that person, may not be true for the next person. That's yes. where the, things become so very individualized. And, yep. uh, yeah. So we, we, you know, we need to keep in mind that, uh, that most cultic conversion does not work in the long term. Mm -hmm. um, but as I like to remind people, you know, if, 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 uh, if Merck comes out with a medication that only kills 10% of the people who take it, right. that medication's not going to be allowed on the market. Right. <laughs> so when, when I get, when I'm told that, oh, well, you know, uh, these 50 people all were exposed to a Scientology communications course, but only 10 of them or only 15 of them you know, actually then signed up for further Scientology lessons, um, you know, that proves that there is no such thing as brainwashing. I, I say that that's ridiculous. That doesn't prove, that proves, what that proves to me is that you had 15 people, let's say out of the 50, 15 people who are, you know, who are primed or who are at the stage where they're vulnerable right. to undue influence. And we don't know about the other people. Maybe they'll come back next week, next month. Who knows? Yep. I, you, you just hit on a very important point I want to just mention as a broader principle. And it, it's, it, it, it falls under the category of the straw man argument right. that cult mm -hmm. apologists use. Because yeah. they say brainwashing means 100% uh, of the people are brainwashed forever Right. You know, and if anyone ever leaves, it proves it's not brainwashing. And all of us experts are like, no, no, this is what you were saying. It doesn't work on everybody in a particular case. Yeah. And the fact that someone's in for 10 years working for free uh, doesn't mean that it's not, they weren't brainwashed for the 10 years until they were like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, the standards that are being used, and this does get to the forensic end of it. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the standards that that are that defense attorneys primarily are are trying to use make no sense. They they are not the they are not the standards that's applied anywhere else. Nobody says, well, you know, that cancer treatment only works fifty percent of the time, so therefore forget it. Right. It doesn't exist. It's not real. Nobody says that. But right. Most people say, "Well, I hope I'm that fifty percent that it works on." Right. Um, so uh, it's a standard that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And and finally, and most importantly, when we come down to the individual, when I'm dealing with this particular person in this particular case in this particular court, who cares whether or not the other nine people were quote unquote brainwashed? All I need to know is that this person was. Yeah. 
And, you know, nobody, again, nobody, as, as you've said, as many people in our field have said, nobody joins a cult. Right. Nobody goes out and says, you know what? I want to find something that's bogus, that, that is harmful, and that I can devote my entire life and all my resources to. Yeah, and be trafficked. And be trafficked. <laughs> Labor yeah. trafficked yeah. or sex trafficked. I'm very glad that you've uh, that you've focused so much in your own work on trafficking because I really think you know again that is especially um, uh, uh, with litigation, especially I, especially uh, when we're dealing with cultic groups, the t- trafficking laws that are already on the books are uh, we are beginning to apply those. Yes, and uh, and that's really that's really important because that is exactly what's going on. Yeah, Keith Raniere, R. Kelly. Most um, a lot of the evangelical cults use children. Yes, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, one of the cases I was involved with, uh, unfortunately, it was thrown out for a technicality, but it involved a lot of the same people that uh, Deborah, that Debbie Shriver wrote about in her book. So oh. these are all uh, and the Alamo so, cult. Uh, they're all survivors of the Tony Alamo cult, right? Um, and and you know, all those beautiful denim sequin jackets that stars were wearing for years well that was done by traffic labor yes period yeah exactly kids kids often cross across you know taken across state lines even yes all right little children uh who are not you know they're not being properly educated they're not being properly cared for and they're certainly not being paid (laughs) anything so and here they are you know doing hours and hours and weeks and weeks of of free labor yeah we could talk forever, but before we wrap up in a few more minutes, I really would love to hear you weigh in on the gender wars, the sexuality wars. I see it mm-hmm. myself as part of just a deliberate effort to polarize people, to hate Absolutely. the other, and where the extremes are commanding too much airtime and the moderate you know, public is like missing out on the human rights and the basics. Please tell I, us your thoughts. Well, I have two two kinds of thoughts. Please. One, politically, I think it's strictly a distraction. I mm-hmm. think it is a way of, you know, as, as I put it, how many, how many drag queens are shooting people up? I mean, here, you know, here we've got folks who are focused uh, in Florida and other states who are focused, laser focused on the two or three you know, instances where drag, where kids were exposed to drag queens or whatever, um, or transsexuals, transgendered. Yep. Um, uh, and, uh, and in the meantime, right now, gun violence is the number one uh, killer of our children. Right. And we're not doing anything about it. Right. <laughs> so to me, that's mind boggling. But yes, uh, you know, I think, so, so what I'm saying, of course, is that to some degree, I think this is a moral panic. Um, and it's a distraction. It's keeping us away from the real, it's keeping some people away from the real issues. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm as a sex therapist, I've, I'm exposed to a a great deal of work research as well as people, um, on the transgendered uh, continuum on the gender uh, spectrum, so to speak. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, I think that for young people, it's a very confusing time and they're experimenting the way people, the way young people have always experimented. And so in the past, they experimented with different roles and different, you know, I'm going to be a bully one day. I'm going to be a nice guy the next day. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. So now they're, they're to some degree experimenting. Well, I'm going to be queer. <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, uh, 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 transgendered or, you know, I'm whatever, um, most of that just plays out. Most of that, if you pretty much just say, okay, you know, just be supportive. Don't push it one way or the other. Yep. Eventually, it's kind of like a binge drinking in the sense that uh, most, a, a tremendous number of, of college seniors would qualify as alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And then the minute they graduate and start working, they're no longer alcoholics. Right. But why? I want to. Because okay. they get, why? Because if they get drunk, they get drunk in school, they skip a class. If you get drunk at work, you get fired. So, so amazingly, binge drinkers stop binging when they, when they go into the real world. I think that happens a lot with gender with our teenagers. When they move, they move into adulthood, they figure it out pretty much. 
Then you've got the extremes on both sides. Right, but I, I, I can't help crazy. but mention, because it's yeah. the statistics are coming out on mental health and young people who are online yeah. for 10, yeah. oh, 14 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. And how it's can bad. being online that many hours not affect your brain? I totally agree with you. Um, and uh, and again, we, you know, we're back to the influence issue right. uh, because certainly this is a really big issue with suicide and eating disorders. Yes, when you want to talk about social influence, harmful social influence. I mean, and we all know most of people who follow this know. For example, in Japan, you know, uh, you know there have been a number of instances in which there have been literally epidemics of of suicides mm -hmm. uh, that have been uh, that uh, contagion seem to be social social contagion exactly yeah. in uh in in this country anyone who works with uh with uh teenagers who have anorexia or bulimia uh the major issue is the uh, the influence that they can uh obtain over the internet how to fake out how to you know how to fake your doctor uh how to drink enough water so that you weigh more things like that um, right but i want to ask you just uh and you know just want to know your thoughts on it, but the idea that um, if you are having body dysmorphia, mm -hmm. gender, you know, dysmorphia, um, puberty blocking medications or hormones, what are your thoughts about young people being affirmed and immediately, you know, given testosterone or or estrogen or yeah. my thoughts are that again, I'm not going to say yeah that that's always bad. Mm -hmm. What I am going to say, or I'm certainly not going to say that's always the right thing. Right. What I'm going to say is that we, you know, that that every this should be a very individual decision within the family with the proper professionals outside of outside influencers, whether they're other teenagers, whether it's social media, whatever, um, it should be something that's very, very carefully uh, evaluated, very carefully assessed, um, and very carefully done, if anything is done. In general, my belief is you're always better off waiting. Yeah, and, and I just wanna highlight what you said, because I agree. Really, you need a professional evaluation. Yeah, yeah. And you have to rule out other things and really test. Like if people are on the spectrum and they haven't been diagnosed, they have a different model of reality than neurotypicals. And a huge number of folks who are neurodiverse are, you know, naturally, you know, gender fluid because they don't think the same way that. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And that and and what you just said. Uh, I was about to say that, you know, when you're talking about an evaluation, it can't be 15 minutes with a doctor or a nurse practitioner. We're talking about a real evaluation here. We're talking about sitting down for a few hours with a mental health professional, with a, a, uh, with a, a medical professional who knows the field, who, who can establish rapport, who speaks not only to the, the child involved, but to the parents, maybe to siblings. Uh, You're saying really important things. I'm really glad that you you do. I, I I will I will also add that I uh, talked with a psychologist, sexologist who specializes with folks on the spectrum, and in her mm -hmm. clinic they do a team evaluation of yeah. ten different professionals, and it's not on one day for several hours. It's over weeks. Like they don't rush to do hormone therapy or, or especially surgical things until they're really darn sure that there's more harm done by, by, by not proceeding right. in that, their experience. That would, in my mind, that would be a, like a gold standard. Because mm -hmm. again, we're talking about, you know, when you're talking about hormones, when, and certainly when you're talking about surgery, you're talking about processes that can have permanent, uh, that, that can cause permanent changes. Hormones can make you sterile. Yes, and they All can right. ruin a lot of your internal organs. Right. They can mess with your internal organs, exactly. So, I, uh, you know, when you talk about, as you mentioned much earlier, about informed consent, there is there are a few areas in life that that demand more informed consent than dealing with your physical gender. Right, and you know, I'm just gonna 
come back to the cult field for a moment mm. and just say, you know, when I'm hired to talk to someone who's involved with a controversial group, my frame isn't to talk them out of it. It's to do psychoeducation, explain models of yeah. social psychology, encourage the person to go back and think about how, what they thought they were joining and to, and to try to encourage them to make their own decision. And for me, if somebody's thinking about, you know, taking medication or having surgery, I really think they should talk to critics and talk to detransitioners who yes. regret having done these things and at least expose themselves that there really is a downside. And one, one objection I have is when people say, you know, like they do with an ex-Scientologist, oh, you can't talk to them, you know, or an ex-Mooney, you know, like they're, they're toxic. Don't talk to those, those people. And it's like, if you're an intelligent, educated person and you want to make a good decision, hear different sides yeah. so you can make an informed choice. We live in a we live in a culture and a society that's extremely fast paced, and there's a lot of pressure to make decisions quickly. Mm. And there are times when, yeah, that's what you should do. I mean, there are times when you have to make a quick decision, and that's the right thing to do. This, when you're dealing with gender and sexuality, that's not one of those times, right? Um, I absolutely, I I feel very strongly. And when you're dealing with your spiritual life, when you're dealing with your reason for being on this planet. Right. Uh, you know, that you don't rush into these things. All right. 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 So, I mean, think of it, put it this way. Uh, you know, imagine that you live in a society or a civilization where there's marriage, but no divorce. There's no chance of divorce. Mm. So are you going to marry the first person, you know, the, someone that you've met for 15 or 20 minutes, or are you going to really be careful? Yeah, someone because, who was assigned to you by your parents or, yeah, right. or a leader or... Right where you're in a group that says you can't have premarital sex even if you kiss you should right. marry the person like is right. that does that make any sense exactly exactly yeah. so dr steve Eichel, uh fount of knowledge uh, i'd like to give you the last words any any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with on this we've covered a bunch of uh, overlapping topics but yeah. Always maintain your curiosity. Always be curious. Um, I'm very active in a very small organization called the American Academy of Psychotherapists. And uh, in AAP, in fact, it's, it's a pretty intense organization to the point where I actually did a, uh, a workshop for AAP called, Is AAP a Cult? Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, and it has some cultic aspects to it. You got to be careful. I mean, I, I, the, the people who were in that workshop were very good about ident identifying certain aspects of yep. uh, being involved in a professional organization that can be a little sure. culty. Sure. Um, but at any rate, <clears throat> the uh, there's a sort of unofficial slogan for the American Academy of Psychotherapists is less judgment, m more curiosity. I like that. Yeah. Only as far as cults go, Let's forget about the judgment part. I think judgment's a good thing. Um, definitely be curious. If someone tells you something, especially the other the other thing um, that I think is really important is there's an there's among scientists there's a uh, uh, sort of an unwritten rule that the more incredible the claim, the more incredible the evidence is demanded. Right. Right. Is demanded. So you know you've got a group that's claiming it's going to solve the world, save everyone, you know, you better demand some pretty solid evidence for that. And yep. you have the right to demand that evidence. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for Thank your you. incredible work. You're in Delaware? In, I'm in Delaware. Yep. yep. And we're going to do a blog and we'll put your website up and um, continued success. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. So, and I will see you in Kentucky. I I believe, right? Yes, the, your organization, you're on the board of directors, I believe. Right. Yes. Uh, the International Cultic Studies uh, Association has a conference annually, and it's in, in Kentucky the end of June, beginning of July. And I mm -hmm. believe I'm speaking uh, I believe you there are. as well. So I'll see you there. Thanks so Great. much. Bye. Take care.
That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.